Chapter 9 of The Lonely Lady of Crossvenor Square. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Ruhi Huck. The Lonely Lady of Grosvenor Square by Mrs. Henry de la Pasture. Chapter 9 The Mountain Farm. Cordethel stood in the middle of an orchard, a plain stone-tiled farmhouse with no pretense to an approach, save a track over the grass from the yew-shadowed gate to the door. A low, uneven wall, built without mortar, of great boulders and slabs of stone, coated with moss and sprouting with hardy ferns and pennywort, enclosed the orchard and though the old garden of the duke's imagination was non-existent there was a large plot of ground fenced in from the chickens at the back of the homestead which was devoted mainly to growing potatoes cabbages and onions but was also well stocked with the roots of old-fashioned herbs and cottagers flowers it had not occurred to jean to telegraph and warn her uncle of her intended visit a telegram as she very well knew would have startled him much more than her sudden appearance besides entailing a payment of porterage which would have annoyed him considerably since dunham had refused to permit her to make a brown paper parcel of necessaries to carry under her arm which would have been much more convenient and had instead insisted upon encumbering her with her late aunt's travelling bag jean had been obliged to leave her belongings at the station to be called for later by john evans her uncle's man she carried in her hand only her shabby desk containing the family treasures from which true to her brother's injunctions she would not be parted the daylight was beginning to fail as she walked rapidly along the main road and turned into the narrow lane which led upwards to the open path over the hills to coedithel a joyous sense of freedom regained caused her heart to lighten and her face to glow as with the ease of youth and strength and long habit she climbed the steep and stony track over the mountain pausing now and then to cast a glance of recognition at the familiar landscape breathless but beaming she presently pushed open the orchard gate sped across the grass lifted the latch of the farmhouse door and stepped into the kitchen a pleasant sense of homecoming never before experienced brought the tears to her glad brown eyes she had not known that the familiar place of her childhood was dear to her before she went to london often and often had she and louise grumbled over its smallness its homeliness and its distance from trefgock once the centre of life to both now its very remoteness from the dwelling-houses of other men seemed to make it more truly a place of rest she closed the door and came softly round the old solid oaken screen built into the wall that sheltered her uncle's patchwork covered armchair from draught one half of the well-scrubbed white deal table was laid for tea a big loaf a black-handled knife a square lump of fresh yellow butter a red earthen pitcher of milk and a pot of jam the black teapot stood warming on the hob and the kettle was boiling well-known sounds in the back kitchen told her that uncle roberts had come in and was cleaning himself at the pump 
not wishing to startle him too much she rapped on the wooden screen with her knuckles and stood there smiling and dimpling uncle roberts came forth immediately clumping heavily across the tiled floor of the back kitchen in his heavy boots wiping his hands with a cloth and peering under his bushy brows to see who it was i have come to pay you a visit uncle said jean Llewellyn Roberts was not a demonstrative man. He endured the kiss his niece bestowed upon his hairy cheek with equanimity and said, Well, to be sure, in surprise. It did not occur to him to express any pleasure at her advent, but Jean knew him well enough to be quite sure he was glad to see her. You got my letter, Uncle, didn't you, about Louise going to Somaliland? I got it right enough, said Uncle Roberts. He went to the bottom of the deal staircase and called loudly, Sally Morgan, there's Jenny come home, and then with a nod retired to the back kitchen to complete his ablutions. Granny Morgan was less impassive than the farmer. She was a rosy little old woman with a white cap tied under her chin and a short woolen skirt cut well above her blue stockings and neat clogs. Though like the farmer she loved Louise the best, she was yet very fond of Jean. Well, to be sure, my dearie, this is a surprise, so here you be come home. Just in time for your tea, she kissed Jean heartily. Have you brought any news, dearie? Louise was just starting for Somaliland when he last wrote Granny, and he says it won't be long before he comes home. Oh my, what a date will be. The lads down to Penny One be going to carry him shoulder high the day he comes. They talk of fireworks and all sorts, and he'll be grander than ever with all this money. It won't change him, Granny. No, it won't, my dearie, for the lad's not the sort to change. Well, if I didn't always say he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, it's to be hoped they won't be keeping him out there much longer. Then she raised her voice and cried to the back kitchen, Roberts, your tea's waiting. She poured the boiling water into the teapot and set it on the table. You'll be wanting something after your journey, dearie. Don't he stop for nobody, but just set too. But Jeanie knew better than to incur her uncle's displeasure by beginning before he had said grace. Uncle Robert stood in his place and asked a blessing with his eyes shut, and Granny Morgan put the bread platter at his elbow. Jean had not enjoyed a meal so much for weeks. How delicious to her the homemade crusty bread, the yellow butter slightly salted. She abjured the tea and drank her accustomed measure of new milk from her own blue china mug, inscribed in gilt letters, a present from Monmouth. Uncle Roberts was evidently cudgelling his brains for the reason of his niece's sudden appearance, but being chary of words, preferred thinking to asking questions. Presently he brought forth the result of his cogitations. Be there anything wrong with this fine fortune his aunt left to Louise? No, no, uncle. Mr. Valentine, the lawyer, says it is as safe as the Bank of England. Don't he get putting your trust in lawyers, said Uncle Roberts gloomily. They have been, I mean the firm, lawyers to the money of Orset for three generations, said Jean. That sounds respectable, farmer, said Granny Morgan, who was of an optimistic disposition. Uncle Llewellyn allowed it to be in Mr. Valentine's favour. 
who's taking care of this fine house now you've come away he asked rather anxiously the servant said jean you've been and left louise's house to servants why it is chock full of valuable things bain't it said uncle roberts they ought to be took care of but there are fifteen servants to take care of them uncle farmer you bain't reasonable said mrs morgan them upper servants aren't like the girls we keep wasn't it on the letter you sent my dearie that the housekeeper or such had been with the old lady forty or fifty years they've all been with her for years and years oh uncle if you could see how respectable and to be trusted they are said jean almost appalled by such doubts besides with a perception that no words of hers could convey the full measure of pikes and dunham's respectability to her uncle if it comes to that uncle the lawyer's clerks or the government or somebody have taken lists of everything in the house down to the very spoons that will be for probate said uncle levelin these ere death does will come pretty heavy on louise i'm thinking but you've always held the rich should be taxed haven't you uncle said jean timidly in the abstract yes said uncle roberts pulling his red beard tax the rich i says in the abstract uncle levelin did not like argument which being interpreted meant that he liked to state his own opinion but did not wish to hear the opinion of any one else so his womenkind were respectfully silent and he recovered his spirits but i dare say there'll be plenty left mr valentine says louise will be very rich hm said mr roberts and it was plain that he was not altogether delighted at the prospect what fair beats my understanding is why the old woman didn't leave her money to you he said thumping the table the lad being started and doing well for himself and having me to look to besides and you being with her it makes me feel fair evil to think of it did she take anything amiss with you no indeed uncle we were the best of friends mr valentine said it was because she liked me so much that she decided to alter her will and leave her money to louise instead of to charities twas a rum way of showing her liking for you oh uncle roberts you know it comes to just the same thing louise and me i would rather louise had it you was all for giving up everything to him dearie all your life but you see if he doesn't make it up to you when he comes home wednesday's children is all for loving and giving and you was both born of a wednesday uncle roberts grunted and pushed back his chair when tea was over and as jean assisted her to wash up the tea things mrs morgan explained the cause of the farmer's depression he's been worriting himself like ever since the news came and no wonder there he was thinking that the lad would come after him here and all his affairs settled so he wouldn't have nothing to fret over on his deathbed when his time do has come it must and quite pleased to think your aunt should have you up to town to make a lady of you and provide for you and now he's all unsettled i know his mind misgives him but the boy will be took up with his fine fortune and look down on the farm like and yet he can't abear to be at the trouble and expense of going over to trefgock and letting lawyer williams after his will sally morgan he says to me i thought that was over and done with he've not been the same man since thinking maybe it is you as ought to have the farm now in justice 
oh don't let him alter anything but i'll tell louise to write to him for he will never listen to you or me said jean but if the rector would advise him to put off making any changes till louise comes home that would be the best dear heart the rector and his wife have been away this many weeks most ever since you left away tis that sissy at the bottom of it all they say her wouldn't answer her mother's letters so poor mrs davies at last her took to her bed with grief and spite to think her own daughter should treat her so and she couldn't keep it to herself for molly jones at the post office has spread it abroad as mrs davies wrote five letters and a postcard running and never a one come back from mrs watson for her but why won't she write they say she's too stuck up but perhaps it is just that she's took up with her long family and got sick of wasting so much money on stamps for they say she's a long ways off in south america travelling with her old gentleman mrs davies was always terrible over fond of sissy and now the girl's paying her out for it tis always the way but she was that bad poor thing as the doctor advised her should go to foreign parts ah well i miss her for she gave me many a box of patent medicine one way and another and my inside being not what it was needs a lot of physique but jean grew impatient of the symptoms mrs morgan now proceeded to describe in detail and brought the conversation back to her uncle yes he be terrible interested with all the lad sends though he bain't fond of writing letters nor yet of reading them as a rule but he boasts away when he thinks i aren't listening to john jones and davy griffiths whenever they comes here men's all alike my dearie they'd be ashamed of loving their own flesh and blood till they be away from them and then out it comes willy-nilly she nodded and winked at jean when uncle llewellyn grumbled at having to send john evans all the way to the station for jean's bag nice fine lady ways you've got into jenny he said shaking his head at her there's louise's photographs in the bag they were too big to fit into my desk he was photoed before leaving south africa she breathed what was that for for me and for you uncle he's changed ever so as one would expect in so many years she said with a pretty timid smile uncle roberts made no answer but she heard him presently shouting to john evans to make haste and not be all night fetching the things up from the station jean finding herself alone in her little attic beneath the roof hung the miniatures again on the brass hooks louise had placed for them long ago over the tiny fireplace she was for the first time struck by the incongruity of their surroundings what had her silk-clad jewel-decked powdered be-ribboned ancestors to do with this whitewashed room and flock paper how very very small and poor it all looked how hard the narrow bed and rough the cotton sheets how small and lumpy the pillow stuffed with poultry feathers by old granny morgan's wrinkled hard-working hands jean blushed with shame at herself for noticing such things and for the reflection that crossed her mind that dear old granny was much less refined in speech and appearance than dunham and would probably courtesy to mrs pike in her black silk gown and chantilly lace cap was it possible that the old woman's endless stories of her ailments had become fatiguing instead of interesting to bear or that she could draw comparisons between the manner of serving meals in grosvenor square and in the farmhouse kitchen to the disadvantage of the latter 
the pricking of her conscience reminded her of many a reproof she had bestowed upon louis in the past for grumbling when he returned from school or college at some of the primitive domestic arrangements at the hillside farm and it reminded her also of the sweet-tempered meekness with which he had received her ignorant assurances of their perfection how little she had known of the world then she thought she knew a great deal now and kneeling very humbly at the narrow bedstead prayed god not to allow her experiences of grandeur or luxury to make her proud or disdainful of the lowly roof which had sheltered her childhood to that prayer she added her passionate entreaties for her brother's safe and speedy return how often she had knelt beside that bed sobbing and praying through the dark days of the south african war and here was louise going blithely forth to fresh danger she thought of his words god has been very good to me why should this luck come to me when every fellow out here would give anything to go why indeed thought jean ruefully as she blew out the candle and laid her brown head on the small hard pillow she shivered a little for though the weather was surprisingly mild for the end of january yet the fireless attic was a great deal colder in this fresh atmosphere than her luxurious bedroom in grosvenor square the forlorn sense of being again alien to her surroundings returned upon her in the darkness she was fond of uncle roberts but she had nothing in common with him and had talked more to aunt caroline in a few hours than to her uncle in her whole lifetime why indeed had she not talked less and listened more she thought remorsefully cousin denise was even more companionable than aunt caroline partly because he inspired her in spite of his dukedom with less awe partly because he was of her own generation was it because the descendant of the de coursets had more natural affinity with these fine people than with the sturdy honest farmer to whom she had been all her life indebted for her daily bread jean hoped earnestly that her feelings held nothing of ingratitude with all her might she respected uncle roberts respected him in spite of his oddity his silence his fiery bristling unkempt hair and beard his lengthy exposition of the scriptures his contempt for everything he did not understand and all these things had been sore trials in their time to louise and herself she respected his independence his piety his industry his solid stolid kindness of heart his stern uprightness yet now that she had seen him again she wondered how she had thought it possible to ask his advice when had she or louise asked counsel of uncle roberts it had never occurred to either of them in their confident youth and with their consciousness of a superior education but that they must know better than he still i will ask him for there is nobody else jean finally decided after an hour's wakefulness and anxious pondering over the situation but her mind was filled with misgivings as she fell asleep in the early morning waking to sunshine she forgot all her troubles and went out rejoicing she climbed the rocky grass slopes above coedithel among the dead bracken to the source of the mountain torrent that supplied the farm with water finding its way thence to the great river which ran through the valley below there had been heavy rains and the stream was doubled in volume rushing loudly over the moss-grown rocks which impeded its course and foaming and seething round every obstacle 
though the sky was of a brilliant blue the sun newly risen over the opposite mountain was hidden by a wandering army of purple clouds which passing over the valley cast its deep shadow on the brown hillsides the song of the birds deceived by the unseasonable mildness into the belief that spring was closer at hand resounded far and near just below her glistened the stab-tiled roof of the farm and its outhouses also built and roofed with grey stone and held together by hundred-year-old stems of giant ivy which like a thousand hairy snakes coiled about them holding aloft a heavy weight of luxuriant polished foliage above the reach of the farmer's shears she looked down upon the farm which appeared very small and solitary standing in the bare orchard and a long way farther down yet in the valley below the distant sawmill's steady hum came clearly to her ear through the still air not a breath stirred and from the little white homes dotted over the opposite mountain side the thin blue smoke shot steadily upwards against the leafless trees what sound more cheerful than the rushing of the mountain stream through this country of ivy-grown moss-covered stone walls and crumbling ruins of wild bracken royal fern and red soil of emerald mistletoe crowning gnarled and lichened apple trees of solemn giant firs and sombre twisted aged yews as jean climbed the mountain path and turned to look yet again upon the wide stretch of cultivated country below the sun flooded the valley and the purple shadows of the cloud fleeted across the hills and vanished leaving brown wood green field and wet glistening roads alike gilded with the brightness of the morning glory it caught the brown river bubbling over the wires and turned the sparkling ripples to flashing diamonds it caught the red-brown ploughland the red-brown brushwood and the red-brown fern dying on the hills and their ruddiness grew transparent as fire it caught the smoke from the mock-stick factory in the village and turned it into wreaths of floating silver jean thought of the london fog and stretched her arms above her head and laughed aloud for gladness that she ran down the hill again and entered the bare orchard where sheets and sheets of snowdrops with their white and green bells were drooping in the sunshine the only flower visible save a solitary aconite or so in the garden and the burden of yellow scentless winter jasmine nailed against the wall have ye gone clean daft jenny said uncle roberts regarding her with amaze as she dropped on her knees in the wet grass to gather the snowdrops one would think he'd never seen the place before i have never missed it before jean said oh uncle roberts i want to ask your advice if you could spare a moment to talk to me she was surprised at her own boldness do you think i've time to stand talking this hour of the day said uncle roberts and he refused to take his eyes off john evans who was unloading the split trunks of dead apple trees from the cart and carrying them into the woodshed after supper that evening the farmer proved more amenable jean fetched him his pipe and filled it for him and gave granny morgan a look which was a preconcerted signal between them and the old woman slipped upstairs nothing loath to her well-earned slumbers jean brought her wooden stool and sat at her uncle's knee as though she were a little girl again but now she felt much older and wiser and more experienced than he even though she was about to ask his advice he glanced down upon her little bent 
brown head and the glance was not untender in fact it was as near a caress as a glance could be but jean did not see it and it did not trouble uncle roberts in the least that she should not know how kindly he thought of her probably he thought it would have been bad for her to learn the extent of his fatherly affection for her and her brother then he smoked in peace and had jean not made haste to break the silence he would have fallen asleep as he usually did after supper taking a nap in his armchair as a kind of preliminary canter before going to bed uncle roberts you used to say you meant to go to london some day to see all the sights ay said uncle roberts very placidly so i do couldn't you come now what couldn't you come now at once it seems to me it would be a very good time to come since aunt caroline's death hinted jean delicately life seems to me to have grown so very uncertain uncle roberts with some uneasiness assured her that he felt as well as ever he did in his life and she hastened to apologize i was not exactly thinking of that but there i am uncle roberts all alone in that big house i thought you said there was fifteen servants i mean not counting the servants jenny said uncle roberts never let me hear you say you don't count servants ain't they flesh and blood the same as you be this is what comes of riches flesh and blood is nothing fellow creatures is nothing oh uncle indeed you misunderstand they are very far from being nothing it is i who am nobody in the house and if anything frightened to death of them all do you mean they put upon you said uncle roberts preparing to get angry with his fellow-creatures no no they mean very kindly but you see even if i wanted to be friendly with them they would keep themselves to themselves they pride themselves on knowing their places and try as you will so far would they go and no farther quite right too said uncle roberts approvingly platitudes always appealed to him especially if they sounded at all scriptural whatever their sense if you came up said jean you would sit in the parlor with me she was obliged to use a word within the scope of uncle robert's imagination the drawing-room might have aroused his contempt and the morning-room would have suggested a separate apartment for each portion of the day and excited his ridicule what should i do there said uncle robert's why said jean and stopped short after all what would uncle roberts do in the morning-room where she found next to nothing to do herself in spite of her education her love of dreaming and her letters to and from louise uncle roberts in his old coat and carpet slippers looked very comfortable and good-natured as he leant back in the patchwork covered armchair and smoked his cherry-wood pipe there is a large comfortable room with big leather armchairs behind the dining-room she said unconsciously thinking aloud the walls are lined with bookcases you could smoke there for it is called the smoking-room and we needn't be indoors all the time for we could go and see the sights i think i see myself said uncle roberts taking his pipe out of his mouth after a long pause going to see the sights in february and the lambing coming on i forgot the lambing said jean a dismayed silence ensued when i talked of going to london but i done for sixty year without going anigh the place said uncle roberts unusually loquacious i was thinking of taking you both boy and girl along with me i guess i'll wait now till louise comes home but what am i to do said jean your duty said uncle roberts 
he smoked for quite five minutes without a word to let this recommendation sink into jeanne's understanding you wrote me a while back when your aunt was took poor soul ready or unready i beat sorry to say which nor it ain't for any one to say you wrote to me as you'd settle with her man of business that was your duty to stop and take care of louise's house and furniture for him yes i did said jean and i sent you a postcard not being so ready with my pen nor so free with my stamps as some said uncle roberts pointedly and i said dear jenny so be it or words to that effect yes said jean and she stifled an hysterical laugh if twas your duty to stop then tis your duty to stop now said uncle roberts decidedly but if people call on me well what harm can they do a, a cousin of miss marney's has called upon me faltered jean and dunham my aunt's maid thinks he ought not to come because i'm alone he has only been once but he he might come again ain't he respectable jean hesitated imperceptibly she felt that if she mentioned that miss marney's cousin was a duke her uncle roberts might once and for all declare that his respectability was very improbable with burning cheeks and downcast eyes she suppressed the dukedom he is most respectable she said firmly a very quiet young man and and lame does she think i haven't brought you up to know how to take care of yourself he said with rising wrath the best educated best behaved girl in the parish and you can't be trusted to have a young man call on you with fifteen respectable old family servants in the house at your back i dare say it's just because she's an old maid and has old-fashioned ideas said jean soothingly so have i old-fashioned ideas but i never heard that a respectable young man couldn't call on a respectable young woman nor i don't hold with such notions at all this is what comes of living in rich men's houses imputing evil when none exists if you didn't think it wrong uncle roberts and as he's a cousin of aunt caroline's i would like to see him now and then that is if he ever does come again for i find london very lonely it is a very dull place uncle roberts considered a quiet lame young man did not sound very dangerous and jean was a steady sensible girl also he was indignant that miss marney's servants should venture to criticize his niece i can't see no harm in your seeing him now and again dunham or no dunham he said obstinately End of chapter 9